0: Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives and why do others flop? Whose work in legacy transcends time and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon, from titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans, like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment, and place them in the official pop pantheon.
1: Uh Uh
0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Pantheon. This, of course, is DJ Louie. So glad you're back again want to start by extending a special thank you to everybody who has rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcast. A lot of you did that this week, and I'm so, so grateful. I'm continuing my drive towards 100 reviews, so if you haven't done that, please help me get this podcast in front of more people and help us rise in the ratings. I really appreciate that. Also, don't forget that every episode of Pop Pantheon now comes accompanied by a Spotify's Essential playlist linked in the show notes. And also, you can pick that up from the links in my bio. Actually, I think I have swipe up now, which is exciting, on Instagram at DJLOUIEXIV and at Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. And oh, also, I'm on Twitter, also at DJLOUAEXIV. That's important. I love tweeting all day, so follow me there as well. And now, most important new announcement is tonight, Thursday, September 9th, at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, I'm going to do a Discord chat. So many of you reach out to me every week and have so many smart ideas about every single episode. I mean, I'm kind of floored. You're like all smarter than I am. So I thought it'd be fun to get everyone together who wants to in a Discord chat. This is going to be my first go at it. The link will be both on the Pop Pantheon Pod Instagram on the on my Instagram DJ XIV, and I will link it in the show notes. It's again at eight PM Eastern, five PM Pacific. Come chat. I'll bring up some discussion topics. I just want to hear what everybody has to say about the episode, and it'll be fun to just hear everybody's voices and talk. So that is happening tonight at eight PM. 5 p.m. Pacific. Also, I guess my final thing is that, as I always say, if you're new, if this is your first time, there's a mini-sode in this feed that describes the concept of the Pop Pantheon called What Exactly Is the Pop Pantheon? So check that out if you want to. And otherwise, I'm going to shut up and let this amazing episode speak for itself. So here is Pop Pantheon on everyone's favorite off-the-grid pop star lord
1: i've never seen a diamond in the flesh
0: in thinking about pop music over the last decade i'm not sure i could point to another artist who's had a bigger impact on both the sound and look of modern pop stardom than lord and yet as her career is borne out impact at least in the ways that we normally think about it rather refreshingly seems to mean almost nothing to her Far-flung from the centers of pop music, Lord emerged in 2013 as a 16-year-old savant who seemed to just naturally toss off sharply written, minimalist, biting music out of her bedroom in New Zealand. Ironically, her debut single, the out of nowhere smash Royals, was a precise pointed post 808s and heartbreak takedown of the very pop cultural moment that the song would come to momentarily dominate, ushering in an entire anti-pop movement that continues to bear fruit to this very day. Arriving in the twilight of the escapist dance pop boom of the early 2010s, Royals rewrote the rules on what a hit song sounded like and how a pop star could emerge on the internet and seemingly overnight become the center of pop music.
1: And we'll never be Royals. Royals. It's a in our blood. That kind of love's just ain't for us We crave a different kind of
0: After the massive success of Royals, Lord followed up with her debut album Pure Heroine, an aesthetically cohesive, hip hop inflected, personal, and barbed record that expertly volleyed between teen ennui in the modern era and sly takedowns of materialism, all of which connected on a massive level, sold millions of records, and made Lord the reluctant voice of a new, disaffected, post recession generation of teens.
1: We don't dance until we live in You'll never...
0: But Lord, never fully comfortable with her role as a centrist pop star, made it clear that traditional, sustained pop success meant very little to her, taking four years after the success of Pure Heroine to construct its follow-up, 2017's Melodrama. The first record fully produced by the now ubiquitous Jack Antonoff, Melodrama both built on the sonics of Pure Heroine while allowing Lord to skate between ballads, mid-tempo drum machine-driven songs, and Robin-indebted anti-pop songs, like the lead single, Greenlight all while functioning largely as a concept album about a painful
1: breakup.
0: drama was a critical sensation, nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys, but it failed to produce a traditional hit. Max Martin, pop auteur of the modern era, even referred to Greenlight as quote-unquote incorrect songwriting. And yet again, Lorde, ever the pop iconoclast, seemed completely unbothered by this and even celebrated its relative commercial underperformance as a moment where she was firmly planting her flag as a capital A artiste rather than a radio chasing pop artist. The effect of that statement proved hugely influential over the modern pop landscape, where stardom and hit records seem almost wholly disconnected in many cases. Doubling down on this, Lorde again waited four years to release her third album, last month's Solar power, which deviated further from the Lord tropes of melodrama and pure heroin into Laurel Canyon folk and post Natalie and Brulia late 90s revivalism, all centered around global warming and the notion of living off the grid.
1: Think times when you feel it kicking in that snow. <laughs>
0: Fort has had one number one hit and two top 10s. She's won two Grammy Awards, two Brit Awards, and has a Golden Globe nomination. She appeared in Time's list of the most influential teenagers in both 2013 and 2014, and the 2014 edition of Forbes 30 Under 30. She sold roughly 5 million records, and moreover, both her sound and approach to pop stardom have proved hugely influential over the sound of pop today, including on major female pop acts of the moment, who traded minimalist, introspective anti-pop music to great success. Like Halsey, Billie Eilish, and Olivia Rodrigo. Here on the podcast today to break down one of the most fascinating pop careers of the modern era is Senior Director of Music at Billboard, Jason Lipschitz. Okay, so I'm here with Senior Director of Music at Billboard, Jason Lipschitz. Jason, welcome to Pop Pantheon.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: This is really great because um, I'm trying to do episodes that are like more pegged to things that are like currently happening in the zeitgeist. And obviously like Lord is having a, a moment a, a kind of controversial moment right now with her new record that just came out.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great to have her back. Like, you know, and we'll get into this, like the, the once every four years trajectory that she's on with her projects and, and kind of her eras. It's exciting when that, that, once every four years does arrive. It's kind of like the Olympics of pop, especially for like a <laughs> like a fan like me. so i'm 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 pumped
0: me too. And you know, it was interesting because, you know, we had discussed recording this about a month ago. and as I was making the outline for this, I was like, we should wait till the till the new record comes out so we can discuss it. But what was really interesting is that, I had a lot of questions that I put on this outline about like how Lord perceives herself as a pop artist and kind of a thing I've always sort of wondered about her. She had this massive sort of left field breakthrough when she initially arrived on the scene with Royals on her first record. But it, in some ways I've sort of thought to myself like that that positioned her in a way that she wasn't 100% comfortable with. I've never sort of gotten the vibe from Lord that she is 100% cool with being like a mainstream pop girly. And it's been interesting watching her press tour for Solar Power because in a way, I feel like she's validated a lot of what I was thinking about her because she's been extreme. She's been in these interviews being like, actually, I really have no interest in like touring arenas. I have no interest in like being a centrist <laughs> pop star. If, I think she said at one point, like if you're if you're invested in my commercial success, you're going to be increasingly disappointed <laughs> as my career rolls on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting just in a sense of and you know, it's interesting also the the fact that this album Solar Power is is coming out uh, 3 weeks after the Billie Eilish album because I see a lot of parallels in that way you you have both of these artists. And we'll get into Solar Power later, but yeah. you have both of these artists who have have kind of exploded thanks to early hits and early success and then made these gestures toward Look, I'm I'm not gonna be chasing hits throughout the, the course of my career. Like I'm you, you may think that like it's disappointing that my new single isn't the top of at the top of the hot one hundred or everywhere on radio, but like I'm cool with that. I wanna make cool shit and tour when I can and kind of let it come to me naturally. So it's interesting that we've had kind of two of those moments totally separate over the past month
0: fascinating and also obviously Billy is one of many of I would say Lord's children and in numerous ways aesthetically but I you know one thing I've been thinking about and I'm so with you on the parallels between solar power and happier than ever it's made me wonder like in the current pop landscape where everything feels sort of niche in a certain way it's hard to sort of like eat culture in the way that it used to be sort of de rigueur for big pop stars to do And also in the way that niche fandom operates. And by niche, I mean, these are huge. I mean, (laughs) calling Billie Eilish niche is hilarious, obviously. (laughs) She has a giant... Fan base, but it almost has made me wonder if, like, the rules have changed in a certain sense for pop stars. Like, do you need hit singles to be a successful pop star? You know, I think that used to be such a duh. You know what I mean? Like, we used to peg pop stardom to like number one hits over and over again. But I feel like artists and Lord really helped pave the way for this. At least there's a subset of pop stars. Maybe certain pop stars still operate in the old mode, like your Dua Lipas or whoever. But there's definitely a certain subset of pop artists that cultivate a giant niche fandom and then. And can sort of basically operate like without needing to have traditional metric chart success
2: in a certain way. It's really true, and and it's interesting to see the trajectories that these artists are following. And it, and to me, it's almost like you look at someone like Beyonce, and and Beyonce is obviously someone that everyone in the music industry admires, particularly young vocalists, singer songwriters, um, pop artists. And the fact is, like. Beyonce has been chasing her muse over the past decade, and that hasn't included a, a ton of concern about hit singles. She's had a couple in terms of, you know, Drunk in Love and Formation, but that's not really what has defined her past decade of success. It's much more about standalone projects, very kind of triumphant multimedia experiences, things outside of music. Um, visual projects, fashion projects, um, charity work—it's it, just—it's—it's it's really interesting to kind of see those overtures being made, and other artists kind of picking up on them, including someone like Lord to me, who—who who I, I have to imagine not just Beyoncé, but a, a lot of other artists, she's looking at this blueprint and saying like, "Look, I can make what I want to make," and I think that she'll still release singles and release albums and tour at least for the time being. But I think that Pop stardom, and this is what you talk about so much on your on your podcast, is Pop stardom is, is increasingly amorphous in terms of what that looks like, what that feels like. So it's not necessarily a, a, a hit singles game anymore.
0: For sure. I definitely think the Beyoncé point is absolutely critical. And it's fascinating, actually, that I feel like the way Beyoncé rewrote that narrative for herself started in 2013 with her self-titled record, which happened to dovetail with *Lord* at the same time. So there's actually, like, an interesting connection to, like, whatever was going on in the broader—I don't know whether it's sort of the elevation of streaming as the main mode of consumption, but something was definitely brewing in that period that *Lord* and Beyoncé have both played into sort of, like, this inflection point for, like, what constitutes pop stardom as something that's about some sort of broader cultural impact that's not tied to metrics in a certain way. So I think what would be good for us to do is to rewind a bit and set the stage for Lord's debut and sort of talk about what was going on in music just prior to that. So in 20, let's say 2008 to 2012, we were living in a very specific moment for pop that was aesthetically defined. Dance music, EDM, it was defined by these sort of like larger-than-life, candy-coated, Pop singers, and it was a big moment for female pop singers. You had Katie, Rihanna, Gaga. These were artists that were like kind of giving you like a big spectacle, almost old school version of pop stardom under the guise of like making dance music. Talk to me like a little bit how you about how you see sort of the era of pop just prior to Lord's emergence.
2: Yeah, it, it's interesting because you, you touched up, uh, upon it. The the late two thousands and early twenty tens was so defined by that type of hyper pop where everyone was just pushing the tempo, and the, so much of that kind of successful music. And obviously, there were down tempo singles that really connected. You think about 2012, one of the biggest hits was Gautier, Somebody That I Used To Know.
1: So not every
2: song was a hyper-pop, not every hit was a hyper-pop song, but you, you think about that era of, Kesha and LMFao <laughs> and Gaga with you know Fame Monster, Born This Way. You think about Pitbull. You think about all of these different artists who are are just like encouraging everyone to dance. Shake that. You know it's interesting because you, you touched upon twenty thirteen and and Beyonce coming back with self titled. 2013 is such a fascinating year in in pop music and I was working at Billboard at the time obviously and and it, it really was kind of like a okay where does pop go from here moment mm-hmm. because you definitely got the sense from 2012 that this was slowing down a little bit that things needed to change that the kind of EDM boom was still happening in a in a very real way but you also got the sense that you know, not every song is, is going to sound like Party Rock Anthem. Uh, and, you know, you you look at the beginning of 2013, which was a lot of, like, left field Macklemore and Ryan Lewis smashes. <laughs> oh, my God. Have... Wow. Forgot
0: about that one. <laughs> I'm going to pop some Jags. Only got 20 in my pocket. Uh, I'm,
2: I'm hunting, looking for a come up. This is fucking my awesome. had Robin Thicke like with the biggest Ooh, hit yeah. of the year. I'm gonna make good I know you want it. I know you want it. I know you want it. You had um, Get Lucky. Yeah, yeah, Daft Punk. Mm-hmm. Um and then and then you had in the second half of the year, you had all of these huge stars returning and kind of figuring out where where they fit into this this transitional period in, in pop music and that, you know, I, I remember the, the fall of 2013 being the mo- one of the most packed times for pop uh, I, I, I've ever, you know, been part of in terms of covering. Right. You had a new you had Bangers by Miley you had Katy Perry with Prism, mm-hmm. you had Gaga with Art Pop you had Britney with Britney Jean, you had Beyonce self-titled It was just such a crowded field, and just in terms of the album releases, <laughs> and yeah. and everyone kind of trying to dominate this place. Where while also kind of figuring out like what the hell does pop music sound like right now. So then, in the middle of all of that, I'm I'm kind of setting the stage. Like in the middle of all that, the biggest hit of that fall was Royals by Lourdes, and it's being of kind of left field hits.
0: Totally. And, you know, it's fascinating because I think Royals, Macklemore, Gautier, and even to some degree, I would even say Miley, Bangers, and sort of Katy Perry having a big hit with Dark Horse, which was less of what you had sort of been hearing from her in these dance pop frothy anthems it was trap influenced it was kind of like a bit of a fraying moment in terms of pop losing its center and there were these as you were sort of getting at there was like a sort of a scramble in terms of the charts writ large in terms of like these weird songs breaking through I think about fun as well and then also the main pop girls were trying to like scramble and figure out what they needed to do to have hits again having operated in this other mode up to that point and you know Miley again Miley was you know bangers is a super glossy album but at the same time it wasn't trading in dance music. It was much more influenced by hip hop. We 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 yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: so what were the main aesthetic tenets of pop stardom in the Katy Gaga peak era? Is it fair to say that it was Sort of all about escapism on a certain level.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think part of it was about escapism, like kind of post recession, but but also like I think a lot of it had to do with festival culture. Like mm. I, I think that this was, was going to really... say Molly.
0: I feel like we had to talk about Molly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it really was. I think escapism is is a is definitely kind of like the baseline. But also, I just think where culture was going. Uh, those kind of communal experiences in music—that mm. um, was that was what it was.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and also the idea of communalism is fascinating in terms of the emergence of royals. Because in the midst of this, you have Lord come out of here, come out with this sort of left field hit that's all about kind of going like here's a song for people that actually don't relate to any of this and that clearly connected on such a huge level like there was obviously some sort of ripeness within at least a certain segment of the popular musical consuming culture that was wanting something that was like fuck this at the same time but
1: every song's like gold teeth gray goose dripping in the bathroom blood stains ball gowns trash in the hotel room we don't care It feels like
0: the party burnout in a way. It was like everybody, like at some point people felt fucking exhausted, I think. And maybe that was part of why people were gravitating towards a song like Royals. It reminds me of, I don't know, like Altamont or something like that. There was just a moment where there was some sort of burnout with what how culture had been at that point. The the ground was ripe for a backlash in a sense. So Royals comes out as like, I guess like, I mean, its emergence was incredibly left field. How did Royals happen, exactly, in terms of becoming a hit?
2: Well, just just in terms of, you know, she was just this quiet kid uh, who loved poetry, who loved reading books, who was uh, discovered as a, a, I believe, uh, preteen in a boy-girl group in a singing competition near Auckland, New Zealand, Mm. and, you know, developed... And got paired with a producer, Joel Little, who was completely in a, unknown at the time, also from New Zealand, mm-hmm. and put out an EP of five songs called The Love Club, including Royals. And, you know, I think it was the, the lack of story, the lack of kind of music industry handsiness and development, I think it was really appealing to people. She was the opposite of a manufactured pop star where she was just like. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why, uh, again, like six years later with Billie Eilish, like that kind of anti-pop machine quality to her music, but also her image was really appealing to pop outsiders. But people like alternative rock radio, where it was just like, oh, this is cool. And also it's not being force fed to us. So we like it.
0: Yeah, it's Lord ushered in what I think you know. Then seemed like a novelty, but now feels like utterly imperative for new pop stars, which is this feeling of authenticity and this feeling of like generating a fan base that feels like they are sort of discovering you authentically, and then sort of part of making you successful. Right now, we're you know when you have like a Billy Eilish, you have an Olivia Rodrigo. It's absolutely imperative for fans of them to feel as though they are getting something totally authentic totally organic i, I think about with billy i say this all the time but it's so incredibly crucial to her story that she and her and her brother make the music in their bedroom also that you're getting such an intimate view into like her very personal perspective on her life i mean obviously taylor played an important role in establishing that as well but i think that um, Lord really was a sort of inflection point in pop in terms of like making that one of the most important things as opposed to some sort of version of record label perfection.
2: Yeah and it's interesting also because there was definitely a lot of that kind of going on around her before as Royals was really taking off and you know as Lord was kind of preparing her debut album there was a lot of kind of indie pop emerging you mentioned someone like a charlie xcx um Heim was right around there i think haim and, and lord were like shared an album release date for their first Ooh, albums um it was definitely right around then but but also like you think about someone like a sky ferrera <laughs> definitely artists who were making pop music but were rejecting that kind of glossiness around the same time so let's talk about
0: royals like specifically as a song what is the aesthetics of royals in terms of like how does it sound what is it drawing on in terms of like creating how that song sounds
2: yeah i mean the the main tenet of royals has always been space like there's Mm. there's like an echo of the drums there's there's not A lot around Lord's voice on it.
1: I've never seen a diamond in the flesh. I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies.
2: You know, you have those harmonies kind of pipe up, uh, especially on the chorus.
1: And we'll never be royal, royal. In
2: the same way that Lord is singing about. How she will not have all of this opulence and mm. have and understand the type of luxury. You have a, not a lot of clutter around her. Like you have, it's it's almost like you can you can picture her singing this song, constructing this song in an empty room where she's imagining all of these like trinkets and items and will never have them. So you know, I, and I think that part of it is uh, is obviously like the drums are very hip hop influenced and you know as we get into to pure heroin and and uh some of her her later singles follow-up songs it's definitely drawing on that but i think that that's really why the song works is because it it understands that all of its hooks work and it gives them the space to breathe and and instead of kind of overwhelming it and and, in that way like you know, again, it's the ultimate kind of anti-opulence, hyper-pop type of song.
0: Right. It's minimalist. I, it, to me, I, I the first thing that came to my mind when I was giving this thought over the last few weeks is 808s and Heartbreaks. It, it's almost like taking that minimalist hip-hop, bare bones, drum machines, and like almost not much else. I'm not
1: loving you, way I wanted to, what I had to do had a run from you i'm in love with you but the vibe is wrong and it me all the way home
0: and sort of bringing it into like a singer-songwriter sort of pop context
2: yeah i mean the, the big thing for me is is less about the sound and more about her as a songwriter and, and right. you know we'll we'll get into this in terms of how much i admire her admire her songwriting yes but i think that it's very easy to kind of gloss over the details of, of, you know, the, the writing and the lyrics of, of Royals, but man, is that, is that an unbelievably written song? And, you know, she apparently wrote it in like half an hour, <laughs> um, which is wild to think about, but a, you a know, 15
0: year old e- girl doing that is easy thing.
2: peasy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even like, you know, the opening line, I've never seen a diamond in the flesh before even, before even any music kicks in. It's just like a, it's a perfect opening line, it immediately grabs your attention. It it, it sort of is universal but also specific. And then you have the sort of wrapped out pre-chorus, you know, in the second half of the verses.
0: Right, which is sort of taking on like hip-hop tropes and sort of flipping them, essentially, because yeah, she's exactly. saying the words "gold teeth," you know, diamonds on your, your bracelet. I forget what exactly, you know, whatever. She's talking about all of these hip hop signifiers, but from a sense of like, actually, like I have no interest in those things.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, kind of all building toward "royals." The word "royals" on uh, at the beginning of the the chorus. Royal, royal. It's so much less about the music to me. I mean, I think it's obviously really interesting the way she re- presents her vocals and the beats and like I said, uses harmonies like very sparingly, but very intelligently. But to me, it's, it's all about the construction of the song and, and unlocks what Lord's career could become as a songwriter.
0: Yeah, fascinating. There's sort of this role she creates for herself as the anti-hero. Her perspective as this teen in New Zealand who's sort of far removed from the glitz and glamour of the main centers of pop in America or wherever else gives her that sort of, pers- like that outsider perspective in a very organic way that I feel like is incredibly important to her persona as it develops. There's a lot of simmering tension, which I feel like is a huge point of Lord. The way she delivers her vocals, it almost feels like she's managing an explosion inside of herself or something like that. And I think that's a very important thing that we see on Royals. And then the other thing that I really picked up on as I was doing my backtrack listen-through of all of the Lord records is the use of the word we that she uses very much to her advantage throughout her career. We'll never be Royals. And we'll
1: never be Royals. Royals.
0: There's this positing of herself as a leader of a generation of people that are anti-commercialism, I don't know, anti, anti-pop, anti-pop, anti-pop or something like that. She very explicitly and effectively uses the word we to sort of like build herself as a movement or something like that.
2: Yeah, I think that's very perceptive. And I think that's part of the reason why this had such mass appeal is because you could understand that she's like a disaffected teenager from New Zealand, or you could not, like you could, you could not give a damn about where she's from. You could just understand that. Like she's singing about how most of us will never know or experience that sort of opulence and how she's rejecting it before it can reject her in some ways. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting how she invites so much of the world into that perspective. 100%
0: 100% and clearly there are people feeling that You know, it's funny because you always think about there's the push and pull between like aspirational pop and hip hop music and then people wanting to hear their own real personal experience reflected. <laughs> These things are often operate simultaneously. It's not like we have to choose, but I, I, you know what I thought was so funny was just, I don't know why this hit me when I was listening to it, but I thought about the lyric Yellow Diamonds in the Sky in 2012 as the lead lyric on Rihanna's peak EDM song, We Found Love.
1: Yellow yeah, Diamonds in the light.
0: And then the first lyric on Lords' album, uh, Royals being, I've never seen a diamond in the flesh. I've
1: never seen a diamond in the flesh. <laughs>
0: Which I thought that was an interesting... Contrast and an illustrative moment of this shift that Lord is helping usher in between this glitzy aspirational pure pop festival molly you know escapism music <laughs> and this era of anti pop that Lord ushers in that is just utterly prescient because she becomes the first of many so let 's talk about pure Heron. so she then she so Blue, Royals becomes a smash hit number one record, completely left field. I think she was probably shocked to hell by how big it became. And then she releases this album, Pure Heroin. So, how does Pure Heroin operate? Like, how does how does it build on what Royals is doing? And what's the sound of Pure Heroin?
2: Yeah. I so the first time I heard Pure Heroin, I, I was writing the cover story on Lord, and I went up to the office of Lava Republic Records, and they sat me in like a small office room, and they press play on on the record. And I, you know, I'm I'm there with my notepad and pencil, and I just remember being blown away. I, I mm. honestly like, you know, and and the, I've obviously experienced that sort of like playback session many, many, many times. But I just remember being like interested in how the rest of the album is going to sound. And then when I heard it, I was like, "Holy shit! Like this mm. is better than I could have ever imagined." And you know, I I think the sound of the album to me. The first thing I really thought of when I heard it for the first time was like, oh, this sounds like the XX. With- oh, my
0: God. I wrote that down, Jason. Yeah. I, in my notes. And them.
2: I was like, this sounds like the XX with a pop star as a vocalist. And no mm. offense to... XX, one of my favorite bands, like I love yeah. their vocals, but like mm-hmm. that's what this album, just in terms of the use of percussion, the echo, the understanding of melody, it was kind of everything I wanted in that regard.
1: Baby be the class clown. I'll be the beauty queen in tears. It's a new iPhone showing people out we yeah. yeah. so happy
2: There are certainly moments on the rest of Pure Heroine where it echoes the the sort of topic of like, hey, I'm not rich and hey, I'm not from (laughs) Los Angeles and hey, I don't understand this. And, you know, obviously the the touch point line is in team where she's, you know, goes, "Uh, I'm tired of being told to throw my hands up in the air. So there
1: I'm kind of over getting told to
0: Talk about an anti-EDM moment. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, talk about a shot at, like, Tayo Cruz uh, and Dynamite. Yeah,
0: throw my hands up in the air sometimes Saying, got go. May he rest in peace. Yeah,
2: please, please stop it, Tayo. <laughs> but more than, but honestly, more than anything, that album to me is about, like, figuring out relationships when you're like 15 and 16 whether it's mm. family, friends, romance like figuring out how to be alone on your own without your parents around for the first time and, and mm. you know what you're allowed to do what you're trying you know the, the thoughts you're trying to process during a really kind of difficult time for a lot of people and on a song like A World Alone which is uh, the, the album closer just like feeling connection and valuing that connection
1: that slow burn wait while it gets dark bruising the sun i feel grown up with you in your car i know it's dark.
0: Yeah, so it's like you've got like her like I'm a teenager figuring out life songs and you still have this very pointed social commentary on songs like Tennis Court and and again you know I, I just I couldn't stop being struck by the use of the word we, we live cultivates this almost, not in a bad way, but like a cult, there's a cult around her. She does a really good job of making you feel like, oh yeah, like this girl like gets me and we feel the same way about stuff and she's giving voice to a lot of how I feel as a disaffected teen. It's so effectively written in that way. And then the other thing is that the aesthetic unification of it, I mean it's extremely cohesive sounding to the point where I do think, I mean whatever, I don't want to, we don't have to fight about it. I do, when I was going back to it it, it, it bor- sometimes aesthetically borders on sameness to me like there's a little sure. bit like especially when you think about melodrama which i feel like is is my personal favorite album but when i was listening to it it it, it definitely hits the same sonic notes over and over and over again
2: yeah no it, it definitely does and and you know i think that like the good thing about it i, I think that if it were four or five tracks longer I would have a, a, even if those tracks were cool, like I would have a different opinion of the album, but I I think that it does a good job of not overstaying its welcome and and kind of presenting its ideas and getting in and out. Yeah, it's a cute, uh, like
0: 37 minutes or something like that. So Pure Heroine is a smash hit. She becomes this big pop star, I think in a way that I would imagine was pretty unexpected for her and maybe not entirely comfortable. So how does Lord post the success of Royals and Pure Heroine function as a pop star?
2: You know, it's it's interesting because she went on tour, and right. she, you know she won Song of the Year, uh, and she toured. I, I saw her a handful of times on the Pure Heroine tour. She worked on that uh, Hunger Games soundtrack.
0: Oh right, right, right. Ooh, this
1: is the of love
2: my name, yeah, she did. She did a couple like uh, guest. Appearances. I know that she was on a disclosure song, which I'm blanking a- Yes, Magnus. Oh, oh, dancing
1: past the point of no
2: So yeah but uh, other than that I mean it was it was kind of quiet on set for a board for a few years Right, so at, in the wake
0: of the success of Royals and Pure Heroine, though, it served, a, in my mind, it serves as one of the greatest inflection points in contemporary pop music, just in terms of the aesthetic shifts it helped usher in, and as we were getting at earlier, sort of the brand of pop starting that it ushers in. And so in the wake of Pure Heroine, there's kind of an entire generation of Lord acolytes that emerge. One that came to my mind that's a really obvious one is Alessia Cara in the song Here, which which I feel like not only aesthetically totally sounds like you know, in the vein of a Lord song, but shares its introverted social commentary. I'm over. It's literally again, not in the same Lord was kind of like, Hey, I'm over here in New Zealand making my observations about culture. And Alessia Carr brought that more into like the personal and was like, I'm in the corner of a party and not feeling like I really belong here either. I'm
1: sorry if I seem uninterested. No, I'm not listening. No, I'm in different. Truly I am. Got no business here, but since my friends are here, I just came to kick it, but really I would rather be at home or by myself, not in this room with people who don't even care about my well-being. Were
0: there other artists that you can point to in that post-pure heroin wave of Lord Children?
2: Yeah, in you know, as we get into 2014, 2015, man, like, what a strange time 2014 may be the strangest year for pop music in in the past decade in in the sense of like the big artists from that year just in terms of kind of like new artists big artists were like Iggy Azalea
0: <laughs> god yes
2: Megan Megan Trainer
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know obviously Taylor was kind of dominated the, the second half of the year with 1989 the the two you mentioned Alessia the two that Come to mind as well are Tovlo, who you know had habits in
1: 2014,
2: and also Troy Sivan, who was really mm. kind of starting out with you know, his EPs and Blue Neighborhood was coming and, you know, so, so definitely kind of along those lines.
1: too since I've been a fool. Ooh, Leave this blue neighborhood Never knew could hurt this good oh,
2: me wild. Definitely, like, outsider perspective, like, a very kind of melancholy take on pop music but really like an expertly done take on pop music and then honestly like i just thought about this but the the year after uh pure heroine was also chandelier by by Sia, which is mm. you know obviously a little bit different but but also like a very kind of outsider perspective her whole deal was like an outsider perspective on on pop music in terms of not showing her face, being so squarely a songwriter before trying out pop stardom. So I definitely, they're all a little bit over the place, but I, I do see the same tenets of like, We are rejecting traditional pop stardom. uh, Yeah, and and
0: Chandelier is another anti party song. I mean, it's a song that takes the tropes of partying. Like, you could think the song, the lyric, I'm going to swing from the chandelier, is about having a great time, but it's actually a song about alcoholism. The other one that really popped into my mind is Halsey. I mean, Halsey and the song New Americana, which was kind of her big first sort of breakout moment, was very post-Lordcore. I mean, it was the whole New Americana almost, he was so closely to Lord that it felt like she was almost like aping her in an uncomfortable way but similarly I mean the whole chorus of New Americana is like yeah we're the generation that's like burnt out on this and that you know like so I really that was another one that really popped into my head (laughs) was again sort of seeing a pop star like halsey is another person that emerges and is kind of like presenting herself as like an anti-hero as somebody that makes music for people that feel disaffected and are not part of sort of glossy celebrity culture
2: yeah absolutely right yeah man i haven't thought about New Americana in a minute, either. So there you go. I um, will not <laughs> comment on whether that's good or bad.
0: So Lord then, dis- like, more or less, you know, we talked about she made the Hunger Games soundtrack. She was on the song with disclosure, but she was certainly at, you know, in terms of setting up this narrative for her as someone who's like not really interested in trading in traditional pop stardom, she did something that most people that are pursuing continued chart success don't do, which is took four years to record her follow up album. So what is I, if you know what's sort of happening at, in her personal life in between those things and what is the uh, aesthetic goal of melodrama?
2: You know, it's it's really interesting to think about where she was at in Pure Heroin versus where she was at in melodrama. And, and obviously, like, melodrama has a little bit of, like, fame reflection, but it's really not built around that. And, I, I, you know, I, I, I again, going back to Billie Eilish, like, you think about Happier Than Ever, that's way more reflective of, Hey, I'm a superstar. Now this is what I'm feeling. And melodrama is, which is much more. If pure heroin is a high school album, then melodrama is a college album where it's just mm. sort of like, okay, I'm dating. It's cool. It sucks. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about this other person. I'm really furious at this other person. And yeah, it's insecure. kind of a breakup album, almost. Yeah, it definitely is. Man, like again, like I, I go back to her songwriting because I think that if you if you ask me anything that sets her apart, and the reason why I'm so I have so much stock in Lord's career, and in terms of like just thinking she's going to be relevant for the next 25 years, I just think that I remember hearing Greenlight for the first time, right? And which was the like, lead single. Yeah, and and just thinking like, you know she thinks you love the beach, you're such a damn liar. Like, she just has these moments, these lines that just linger. I
1: do my makeup in somebody else's car We order different drinks at the same bars I know about what you did and I want to scream the truth Thinks you love the beach, you're such a damn liar. Those great whites, they have big teeth.
0: No, I think green light is fascinating just to zero in on for a second because, A. First of all, I think it's important to note that she ditched Joel Little and teamed up with Jack Antonoff, who obviously we all know now is like the centerpiece yeah. producer of pop music. But at this time, you know, he had produced on Taylor's 1989. But I feel like this was kind of, in some ways, the first like big Jack album. And certain things that were interesting to me just about Greenlight. One is, it is aesthetically different than Pure Heroine. It is a kind of a dance song. Um, I know she was very influenced by Robin to the point where she performed on SNL with a picture of Robin uh, on the piano with her. And as yeah. we know, Robin is featured on Solar Power. So clearly Robin is a big sort of influence on on Lorde. And you can hear it on a song like Greenlight. I got,
1: got to get, get my, head, my-
0: You know, when I first heard Greenland, I was like, "Oh, this is like she is," you know, attempting to like have a hit. But the thing that was fascinating—not I mean, in not in a bad way, not in like a craven way—but I was like, "This is a really fun dance song in some ways, even though it's still laden with like the simmering tension that you're used to in a Lord song." But. One of the fascinating narratives around green light is Lord told a story during the press tour of that where she went to Max Martin, you know, pop auteur tour of, of our time <laughs> and played him green light. And he told her it was incorrect songwriting and she proudly said, yeah, uh, that's fine with me. And I remember her saying like, what I like to do with my pop is have it be 60% correct, 40% incorrect or something like something along those lines. So Greenlight was, is this a fascinating sort of like moment, I think in the narrative of Lord, very explicitly sort of saying, I'm not really interested in like doing a pop career that you might expect me to do coming off of this giant success of a first album.
2: Yeah. And and Greenlight honestly might be my favorite Lord song. And I, I, I totally, I agree with Max Martin in the sense of like, it's not a, it doesn't sound like an immediate first single just because of its structure and because of, you know, the way it it sounds and feels it's, it's totally different than Royals Like you think about Royals, it's, it's much more traditional in its structure.
0: Totally. Totally. Um, I actually, I've always thought it'd be fascinating to hear a Max Martin version of Greenlight. Like what would that sound like, you know?
2: I mean, it'd be the verses would be way shorter. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So, how does it aesthetically differ from pure heroin melodrama overall, like in terms of the way the music sounds? Like, what, how, how do we, how do we move, how do we draw on it and how do we move away from it with Jack at the helm and whatever Lord's vision was for it?
2: Yeah, I, I do think that it's actually to me, you know, obviously, structure of Green Light aside, to me, it's much closer to a traditional pop album than hmm. pure heroin in the, in the sense of like, to me, like going back to pure heroin, whereas like, it sounded like an XX album with pop vocals. This to me sounded like a collection of, of pop songs there. And you know, there's some exceptions and there's some interludes and, you know, you have a liability reprise and, and, but you think about songs like homemade dynamite and perfect places. And like, they're very kind of down the middle, pop songs even even kind of refracted through the prism of lord who's just always going to be a little bit messy and a little bit more playful with her production and and her sound and her approach <laughs> It's like, you know, there's there's less space on the songs, uh, they're a little bit fuller, there's a little bit more production, but yeah, I, I'm curious, so you like melodrama more than pure heroine, so I'm, I'm curious what you like more about it.
0: Oh, good question. Uh, you know what I like more about it is I find that it's a much more well-rounded album. A, I think her songwriting is more refined, more interesting, and the personal elements to it I connect to on a on a deeper level. But I, I I find it to be one of the most well-balanced and constructed pop albums of recent memory. So I feel like it's aesthetically unified and yet it gives you so many peaks and valleys in terms of tempo, in terms of just the sound of the songs. It always gives you exactly what you need when you want it. It's like you start with this sort of dance banger, you get these sort of mid-tempo couple of next songs. Queen of the weekend.
1: Ain't a pill that could die,
0: rush. But
1: what will we do when we're so? I'm a dream with a fever. Bet you wish you could touch our rush. But what will we do when we're so? These are the games of the weekend. We pretend that we just don't care
0: get sort of references to pure heroin but it definitely feels like it's building on that and also deviating away from it you have your ballads then you have just when you're when you're needing that uplift it's like you get super cut you get you know you get there's just like a lot of variance while still being aesthetically unified which is like one of the things that I always look for in a pop album like it really works for me as a unified piece and yet I feel that I'm on a journey that makes sense as almost like a concept album and you know and, and I think it really delivers on a lot of like what I loved about Pure Heroin, again, it's like those vocals right in your ear, that intimate quality you get from her, the sharp observations, the, the social commentary paired with the sort of personal reflections. The other thing that I find really interesting about it in contrast to Pure Heroine is I feel like Jack more or less removes the hip hop elements from the entire equation. Yeah. It's, it feels devoid of hip hop in a way that I sort of like. I mean, not that I disliked that on Pure Heroine, but like she really settled into like what her music sounds like without needing it to have like signifiers that were like connected to other pop songs almost in a certain, or other, other things that were happening in that moment. I also just love a lot of the production choices, like the industrial clang of a song like Homemade Dynamite is just so effective. <sighs> almost sounding like machinery kind of like malfunctioning and this sort of like the way she plays with drum machines the way that they the way that they work the sonics of that album just works really well for me and then I just it, it just on a on a visceral level it's like songs like Supercut I mean the catharsis of a song like Supercut is yeah. just unbeatable it just gives you exact that just simmering tension of lord and the and the concept of the songwriting just absolute perfectly buttoned up like the notion of thinking back on a relationship and it being a Supercut like what a genius concept for a pop song
1: but it's just the Supercut of us Oh, it's just the super cut of us
0: Super of us There's not a wasted moment. I think that's what I would settle on as my main answer to your question. Every you single go. piece of that album feels intentional to me and and it works as a whole thing. So melodrama is critically lauded. I mean, it is an absolute like embrace by the mainstream critical establishment. But as you said, it doesn't have a hit, and it definitely decenters her as a pop star. So how does the sort of reception of melodrama by the public affect Lord's pop stardom?
2: You know? I, I think that because it was still relatively close, even though four years is a long time, but people, Royals was an enormous hit. People still know Lord. People still hear Royals and team on the radio. You know, I think that it, it wasn't surprising to me that it, I, I think it debuted at number one. Um, yeah. The album debuted at number one. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a big hit single, was nominated for album of the year. Um, didn't win. But I, I think that it, it sort of accomplished what Lord wanted to do. She played arenas in support of it, and which was sort of dissonant. Yeah, no, I, it totally was. And you know, I, I think that what she wanted was to create a body of work that stood on its own, and you know, hit singles be damned. And right. it was it was kind of critically beloved and allowed her to to play to large audiences keep her fame relatively intact, but also like on her terms. And I think that if, if you were, if, if you were to ask Lord, I I would imagine if you asked her in 2018 or 2019, Hey, like, how did this go? How did this go for you? I think she would say it was a, it was a huge success. I think that she would say, you know, people got it and I made what I wanted to make. And it was a little bit different than anything else out there. But You know, I played to my fans, and I brought in new fans, and now I'm going to go away again, and I had a blast doing it.
0: You know, I I think nothing sets up the Billie Eilish narrative better than the sort of pure heroine into melodrama lore narrative, because... It's very similar. It's like you have this sort of organic left field. Like, I think Billie Eilish also didn't fully expect that she was going to get so fucking gigantic um, with that first record and sort of bad guy becoming, again, a little bit of a left field hit. I mean, Billie had established a giant fan base that was eating up everything she was doing, but it really wasn't until bad guy, like, unexpectedly, I think, went to number one that, like, she really broke through on that, like, next level. And Happier Than Ever reminds me of melodrama in so many ways, not even that it's necessarily, like, aesthetically, similar, although there are parallels we could probably draw, but in terms of, like, I think what Lord did on Melodrama, like, kind of allowed for Billie Eilish to do what she did on Happier Than Ever, which is, again, sort of getting back to what we were getting at earlier in the conversation, which is go, like, you know, at the end of the day, I can operate in 2021 as a pop star that does not you I do not need to service you radio songs in order for me to have a big album that makes a big impact. I I think it goes way back to our discussion about Beyonce on the self-titled album and it really goes back to like what Lord did here. I mean, and when Lord did it, I think in 2017, even even though it was only 4 years ago, it still felt like oh my god! Like that was a choice. Like I remember feeling like okay. Like she really made a choice here. Like she is, she's not giving you. Like she's not trying to build on the commercial success of pure heroin. She is trying to do something else. She's kind of doubling down on herself as a as an artist and and doubling down on like playing towards the people that will will go with her wherever she goes. And I think that that's a mode of pop stardom that Lord helped establish. That is like extremely increasingly widespread. I mean, yeah. I think that you... And, and another artist that I think runs parallel to her and is totally relevant to this conversation as well is Lana Del Rey, another artist that is uh, has a massive core fan base that she plays directly to over and over again and remains a pop star that we talk about that feels like she's relevant in culture and yet has absolutely no relationship to having hit singles, radio yeah. hits. It just does not matter at all. And I think... Lord and Lana and artists like that have sort of proudly like busted down a weird door in the pop landscape where it's like almost radio is siphoned off from pop stardom. Like yeah. what 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 becomes hits on on the radio is like almost like can can be completely unrelated to like who's the biggest pop star at the moment.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's almost like two different groups where right. you know Lord has name recognition um and ha- has had hits. One, especially big hit, but but also like, you know, is her level of fame where she is in in compared to like the Biebers and Dua Lipa and Ariana Grande, like all these artists who have like multiple songs who you hear all the time. If you're if you're listening to the radio, you know, it's it's interesting. She's she's chosen the kind of auteur route, and I think that she's super happy with it agreed so
0: then lord does yet again another move that you pointed out earlier the four year take uh, taking off time yeah. this time we don't get a hunger games soundtrack we don't get no a hunger games soundtrack nope. lord literally drops off the face of the fucking <laughs> earth while while having like this massive impact on the landscape of pop simultaneously like in absentia she like literally just completely disappears and so we've now had about a week uh, to listen to her latest record, Solar Power, which let's just say is a pretty huge fucking departure from <laughs> the, the last two records. Think
1: three times when you feel it kicking in that snow.
0: i i mean it's a pretty big one
2: yeah no not at all i mean I, I i definitely think it's it's wildly different i i also think like again i i called pure heroin heroin her high school album melodrama is her college album and solar power is her kind of mid-20s on we quarter life crisis album where she's trying to figure out how to find con- personal contentment and balance it with professional achievement and you know she's really thinking about totally different things i think that's part of the reason why it sounds so different is because i don't think she's focused on any of the same things that she was on on melodrama which is is much more melodrama is much more a relationship album um, and again not not just romantic but but in terms of society in terms of family and friends and fitting in and finding love and and sort of self-love and Solar Power is, is much more focused on that kind of self-love, not less, less self-love and more self-fulfillment and figuring out what is going to work for the world around her. I think w- one of the things that I think about when I listen to Solar Power is this all happens so quickly for Lord, Like she is so young still and she's already mm-hmm. I know I it. couldn't
0: believe it when she heard she was I was like oh my god she's 24 and we've had like 10 years <laughs> of
2: her
0: career it's a little bit she, sickening but yes I'm
2: sure a lot of what and you know I based on solar power I think that she's thinking about what she's going to do not just for the next couple of years but for the rest of her life at this point what she wants to value what like what she wants to create and be a part of and I think those are big questions for anybody but I think that by kind of presenting them and and poking at them in this form, um, you know, it's it's really insightful. I, I like this record a lot. What wh- how do you feel about solar power?
0: You know, I am <laughs> torn. I, no, okay. I do I do like it. Um and I like it. I've liked it increasingly as I've continued to listen to it. I think what's jarring about it is like I, you know, I I like and respect and love when artists evolve, when they throw the formula out. That's, That's all good to me. I think what's been jarring to me about Solar Power is it not only throws out, like, a lot of the aesthetics that we came to know from Lord, but it throws out a lot of sort of, like, what made me love her in the first place. And I'm not saying that I can't love what she's doing on Solar Power, but it's so... Uh, veering so far away from the immediacy, the jagged edges, the sharpness. It's very ethereal. It's the way her vocals are recorded are so different. The sort of complete abdication of the electronic musical production um, in favor of sort of like, uh, I'd say at at turns fine and it's sometimes sort of bland, pseudo, you know, Laurel Canyon folk that like I've heard Jack do in ways that I like better on like Norman fucking Rockwell and stuff like that. Sure. Goodbye
1: to all the bottles, <laughs> all the models, but clouds in the skies are a whole no way.
0: I find the, the music less the began, interesting and I, I not her lyrics. Her lyrics remain fantastic. And I love a lot of the songs, especially through the first half of the record. I'm I'm yeah. really there. I, I find the second half muddled and a little like half thought out in a way. Like some of those songs on the second part of the record I feel like are blueprints for songs that could have been better or more finished or I don't know, but I find myself sort of drifting off until Mood Ring. Um, from between the Robin song and Mood Ring, I I kinda lose the thread a little bit. Yeah. Um and and I think what frustrates me about that is um I just know she's capable of delivering such a fully realized vision. That's and, and that goes back to what I was saying about melodrama. It was just so realized to me. And I'm not as much as I'm fascinated and interested and can't wait to keep listening to solar power i'm not sure she fully realized what she was the vision as completely to me and that's a little bit disappointing and i just want to point out something that the brilliant craig jenkins said in his review of the record on vulture which was uh it's the button to the piece and it says solar power is honest it's truth- Its truths just feel cloistered and distant sometimes. Lord used to tell us she could never be a royal. Here she truly sounds like one. And that distills some of what I struggle with on this record, which is that it feels a little bit um, disconnected from like, real life experience like it's obviously honest to her but in some ways like the life she's singing about this sort of like pastoral disconnection living off the grid thing feels cloistered to me like that's like who can live that life a rich celebrity that's like able to take four years and like live on the beach in New Zealand and then come (laughs) back and drop an album about it and that's just like so distant from what made Lord so fantastic to me initially that like again I want her to make music that she wants to make and if that's her truth i'm with it and i will I, I i'm rocking with it but it is an adjustment i guess to make to sort of like a completely different approach to both the way her vocals are recorded to what she's singing about and the way it all sort of sounds i guess. I,
2: I appreciate the complicated feelings that that you are working <laughs> through yeah i mean look I, I you know we were talking about this um with the billboard staff um the day it came out, and I, I, one of the things I said are, you know, I think part of it is in the same way. Again, going back to Happier Than Ever, which came out a couple weeks beforehand, like the grappling with fame and grappling with like s- self fulfillment within the hellishness of fame. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always going to be a little harder to relate to that, and and also an album from a a place that's a little less jagged, as you said, and and a little bit more contented, that's also going to be a little bit sleepier. And I I think Mm -hmm. that like, no matter who it is, that's nothing against Lord. I think that's just going to be like, you know, Hey, I found peace is just not going to be as riveting as like, look at all of this drama, like buzzing around my head. And, and, you know, I think that like, I'm not shocked that the reception to this album has been muted i think that mm-hmm. um i probably am higher on it than others but i also am not i i, I think that if this album kind of comes and goes in the in the sense of like kind of the the critical community if it doesn't get any grammy love um i'm not going to be surprised I, I i do think that like just as a, a fan and you you spoke about you know you wanting to encourage her to kind of wax poetic on her truth i think that's what she's always going to do and i think that like there are going to be projects like this that don't connect uh or don't connect quite as much and you know but i also think in four years she could drop like a total banger i think that totally it's, it's it's just like there's going to be waxing and waning in in the course of her career but i think that like i i at least have always sort of expected that um, right. I'm sure there's going to be in and, and the same way that like I'm probably slightly lower on melodrama than everybody else. Right. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit of a personal preference.
0: I think it is funny. And I thought this one. <laughs> Solar Power the single came out. Yeah. That Lord has created this whole landscape of people in the pop universe that sort of have aped her thing. This dour introspective sort of like anti-pop dark tone sort of like you know brooding aesthetic and it was like haha here's like a dove commercial like here's like a here's like a here's like my rip on freedom 90 like dove soap commercial can i kick it yeah i can you know what i mean like it's just it i do find that like hilarious and like i imagine that she does too so i'm so i'm with that part of it as well (laughs) what what what's your favorite solar power song at the moment
2: um probably the title track. Mm. i know that like uh that's lame of me to say i just i i love that song i think secrets from a girl is is really great um and stone at the nail salon yeah those are probably my three i and cool and oh man the path is so cool too like the path is great the the the, fr- the opening of I, I remember i i was driving when i i listened to the first the album for the first time and listening to the path leading into solar power I was just like amped i was like let's go yeah
1: now if you're looking for well you
0: Okay, so let's conclude our conversation here by talking about the Pantheon. So, Lord is a complicated person to rank in this fucking thing for every <laughs> reason that we've been talking about for the last hour. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's weird because, you know, and I think this is why I'm very happy that thanks to Queen Gia Tolentino on the Robin episode, I rethought a little bit of this because, so if you think about the Pantheon as like a, as like a, triangle with like the icons at the top and sort of tier five at the bottom i see the sort of niche legend girls like as an arm of the triangle sort of like running parallel up the side of it so they're sort of tangential to every tier in a sense so i i think where I'm i'm here i'll posit my thoughts and you tell me what you think my feeling is that lord is either a tier is on the edge of either tier three or tier four and the and those sort of niche legends. Okay, you know what I mean. What do you think?
2: So yeah, I think that's absolutely ha- has to be uh, where she's at. You know, it's it's interesting because there's a little bit of a dissonance between how she is treated on Twitter and online, right. Right. and sort of the the cultural conversation around a new Lord project, and also her commercial prospects like i think that Mm. you know like if this album doesn't debut at number one like i'm not going to be shocked because like you know solar power as much as the the song as much as people talked about it when it came out like it it didn't resonate on on the charts at all it just it Mm -hmm. you know and then and that's totally fine so yeah i think i think Mm -hmm. i I, i'm looking at niche legend because you think of someone like a carly ray jepsen who is so transcended call me maybe and and kind of become her own thing you think about someone like robin who has obviously transcended you know show me love uh yeah i think i would probably put her in that class where it's like you know in in 10 years I, i mean even now like i think that lord has transcended royals to some degree even though it's been less time um, she's, but she's, beyond she's it. bigger
0: than them. She's bigger than them in culture. Um, Lord is bigger in culture than Carly Rae Jepsen is uh, in broader culture. I think, no, I,
2: I agree. Lord
0: tour, Lord toward arenas with melodrama. Yeah. Like Carly Rae Jepsen was never touring an arena.
2: It's very true. Uh, is she bigger than Robin? Yeah, probably. Mm. So I think that you're probably right in the sense of, you know, I, let me okay so she would be in tier 3 now right headed toward niche legend and I, I think, think she's that on she would the border. love that like
0: we can put we can put her on the bo- like I think we can sort of put her in between cuz if niche legend is running up the side of the triangle yeah we can put her in the graph, like somewhere on that board. I mean, she is enigmatic. I mean, that's the point. I mean, she's not easy to like, she's not your run of the mill pop star. So it makes it sort of hard to put her in this context. It's not like you can look at her and go, like, it's obvious. Like, and she represents such an important paradigm shift about like how we measure chart how we measure pop star. I mean it goes right back to the beginning of our conversation which is just like how do we measure pop star? I mean Jason, you work for the the music industry <laughs> bible. Do pop stars need to have hit records to be pop stars anymore?
2: I don't think they do, but I do think that when we're talking about tiers and we're talking about levels of, of fame, you think about someone like Carly Rae Jepsen. You think about somebody right. like Lord. If they had consistently scored more, you know, ubiquitous songs over the course of their careers to date. And maybe they will in the future, especially Lord, I, Lord I, I could certainly see having that sort of reinvention that, that really appeals to the masses. Um, right. I, I, I think that those are really huge kind of blue chips in, in terms mm-hmm. of helping strengthen a case. But at, at the same time, like, I don't think they value that. I think they value... Th- the art above right. all, whether or mm-hmm. not that, that, uh, leads to singles. So yeah, I, I, I think that, um, I think singles still matter a, a ton, but they're not the end all be all, especially not anymore.
0: and, In a way, it's like it's like is that what I'm wondering as you're speaking is like is that a choice that Carly Rae Jepsen is making or is it just the fact that like the music that Carly Rae Jepsen makes and for that matter that Lord now makes just isn't music that works on radio like unless you're willing to play that game specifically like there was a time where the songs on Emotion could have worked at radio and just in that particular moment for whatever reason it just wasn't happening so I I I kind of feel like Lord it's a fascinating push and pull I mean Lord is more obvious sort of like comfortable being an anti-pop star carly ray i don't know like carly ray is an interesting case of somebody that makes extremely down the middle pop music but like doesn't have chart success so there there's an interesting dichotomy and then in terms of lord in terms of like the three or the four debate it's like in terms of like actual and this is why this is complicated it's like in terms of actual traditional metrics i actually feel like she fits more into the four category because if we're talking about like what her hit Her hits, it was, like, really confined to a... I mean, you can't even say melodrama really had hits. It was really confined to that first album. It really felt like one big moment. And yet, because of everything we've been talking about, I feel more comfortable saying she's, like, a three-bordering niche legend because for ethereal reasons that we can't totally put our (laughs) finger on, Lord remains bigger than and still relevant without really being traditionally chart successful or something like that.
2: Her power is not confined to the earth it is her power is solar her power is solar
0: well jason last (laughs) question for you um what is a lord song maybe something we haven't touched on yet that you just feel like is incredibly underrated that we can bring everybody out on
2: oh um you know i mentioned ribs you know what i want to mention that i tweeted this a couple months ago the remix to homemade dynamite which features SZA, Post Malone, and Khalid all on that same damn remix. Man, that that song should have been huge. SZA, Post Malone, and Khalid.
0: That's crazy. I know. I know. Also, I just love Homemade Dynamite. Great song. So we'll go out out on the Homemade Dynamite remix. Jason, thank you so, so much for being
2: on the show. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Let's let things
1: come out of the woodwork. I give you my best. I tell you all my best Yeah awesome right so let's let things come out of the wood
0: all right folks that's it lord pop pantheon tier three bordering niche legend the judgment is rendered wow what a fun conversation i cannot thank jason Lipschitz enough for being on the podcast what a font of knowledge If you enjoyed the episode, please consider rating it on Apple Podcasts. Give me five stars. Help the podcast get up in the rankings. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DJ L O U I E X I V. Follow Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. And check out the Lord Essential Spotify playlist in the show notes here. And until next time, my friends, I hope you have a wonderful life. Bye-bye. So let's take on the night.
1: I'm i